Hey everybody, it's officially draft season, and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hello everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendrick, joined always by the great Stone Hansen, and the next in our series of guests here talk about the Atlanta Hawks, back for his second year in a row with the great Brad Roland at BT Roland. Uh, he's the host of Locked on Hawks, has a Patreon contributes for dime up rocks does stuff for sports line and then if you're into some baseball stuff writes about the Braves for battery power too he's all over the place uh legend of atlanta sports i imagine brad my friend how's it going that was far too kind of an intro but i appreciate you guys having me back uh, it's always a pleasure to talk basketball and uh, this is a great form to do it so thank you for having me thank thank you no we we appreciate you and uh you know you're you're I, I always I think I told this story last year, but I got to bring it up every time you're on because you were the first person I ever heard bring up Matt Mitchell, who eventually over time became one of my favorite prospects ever. <laughs> um, so I, I will always I will always be a fan of, of you for that, because uh, yeah, I was just like I had a year where I was just listening to like basically every locked on podcast and years always stood out and you brought up Matt Mitchell. I'm like, oh, who's this Matt Mitchell guy? And, you know, never looked back. So. Um, yeah, this 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 was obviously a, a bit of a weird season for the Hawks. And and um it feels like they had that great, that great Eastern Conference finals run a couple years ago, and things were finally pointing in the right direction, and it's just kind of been a bit of a start and stop and, and a lack of consistency year after year. They obviously fired Travis Schlank and brought in a new decision maker, lead decision maker, and just kind of feels like there's a lot up in the air right now. So Brad, what were your thoughts on how last season went and where do you feel like this team is going? Yeah, it's really fascinating to talk about where they are, where they're going, because uh, you talked about how there was so much uncertainty and I agree with you. I want to be very clear about that. I agree with you at the same time, their top 10 players are under contract for next year. So like on paper, you wouldn't say this is a team that has a lot of uncertainty, but it, it really still does because of how they played this year. I mean, they were, 41 and 41 like they, they were not very good in fact they were kind of famously mid all those stats that were rolling out in March and April about how they couldn't win more than one game in a row and um it was a weird weird season in a lot of ways and you know the big splash you mentioned Schlank that's that's a big organizational one but you know to move off from Nick McMillan and then hire Quinn Snyder in the middle of the season you basically never see a a guy with that kind of profile hired as a coach on the team that's trying to win and they do it in February so that was already a, a very strange Thing. And I'm sure that a lot of what they do this offseason will be based on, hey, what are we going to look like when we have a full year of Quinn Snyder? Because that's the the one defense that they want to run it back, basically, is say, hey, we, we still believe in our guys, but this, this new coach is going to unlock things for us. And I kind of doubt they're going to do that in full because there's just too much um, – there's too many reasons to not run it back but if you, if you were going to do it that'd be the reason why is to kind of you know put it on Snyder and say all right this is going to change all of what we're doing but yeah they underperformed and they're not they were never all in but when you trade what they traded for DeJounte Murray and you're paying what they're paying for these for this core group to have that end up with a 41 and 41 season without any like major injuries like that would have been a huge disappointment if you told me that back in September and October so the vibes are better than they probably have any right to be, to be honest. I think a lot of that is, is because of Snyder, who everybody seems to like, including, uh, and I would say crucially, including Trey Young. But this is still a team that, yeah, they played fairly well against Boston in the first round series. But I think, you know, big picture, they have to be disappointed with, with the way things went this year. And they have some uh, interesting decisions to make, even if they have all their pieces technically in place. 
Yeah, I, I think that that first round series was instructive in some ways of just how like effective Quinn Snyder can still be at his best. I, I, I as a Jazz fan, I argued that he was the best X's and O's, and I would still probably argue he's the best X's and O's coach in basketball right now. His issue was always more uh, dealing with personalities, which is you know quite a worry when you consider that Trey Young is already had his issues with past coaches and, and front office personnel and teammates. But if he likes him so far, that's a good sign. Brad, what do you think like the core P obviously Trey Young, if Trey Young for better, or for worse, feels like the guy, this team is still going to be built around for the, for the long term. Who are the other players you would consider like core pieces that are likely to be on this team for, for long stretches of time. And how do you think they could best be maximized moving forward? Yeah, I'm glad you led with Trey. We can we don't have to do too much on this, but I there is this thought process. I don't even know where it really comes from that Trey's not like long for Atlanta, but that's not really ever been a vibe that I've gotten. And maybe that'll change at some point. But he's the level of player, no matter how good you think he is, he's on the level of guys who don't get traded unless they want to get traded, is the way that I always frame that with Trey. Like, and he's not showing any indication that he wants to be traded. So like he's definitely number one still on the call sheet when it comes to the Hawks and their future. Beyond that, it's more interesting. You know, you would say DeJounte Murray would be the logical number two after what they traded for him, but it's one year one, one year under contract, and through no fault of Murray's or the team's, they can't really extend him. They can offer him a deal that I think everyone agrees Murray won't take, and that's nobody's fault. It's just the reality. So um, it's hard to have him be like the definite building block number two when he might not be on the team in a year, and that's just the reality of it. After that, it gets interesting. I think for me, it's probably A.J. Griffin next that doesn't mean he's the third best player on the team right now because he's not but he's a recent first round pick who they love and who had a really good a really good and encouraging rookie season he stayed healthy knock on wood that was a huge thing with aj um and you know he's really the guy that, that i think most recently that they've invested in so that's usually a good sign i think jalen johnson's on the list too another another first rounder lower than aj because he's not quite as entrenched with this particular front office but still a guy who showed some really good signs last year and then you have this like really interesting group of veterans. And for the longest time, I would tell anyone who would listen, no matter how you felt about DeAndre Hunter, they were kind of married to DeAndre Hunter because Travis Schlenk drafted him and they traded up for him and they, they always liked DeAndre Hunter. That front office is not here anymore. And one of the questions that I honestly have, and I wish I had a good answer for you guys on this, is how they feel about DeAndre Hunter at this point. They already paid him, so he's on the team, but he's making real money now. Um, and he's sort of in this group with... John Collins, who we'll talk about, and Clint Capella, and um, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. They have all these like well-paid veterans who are all good players, but are not like married to any of them. And then the sleeper in this discussion is, is Onyeka Kongwu, who I think I would put closer to AJ Griffin on like the definite building block list. But he's about to enter his um, his summer of contract negotiations as, as an extension without ever having really been a starter on this team. So. It's an interesting group. I think they have this kind of group of young guys who are young and cost-controlled so far with AJ, Jalen, and Onyeka. And then they have these four or five veterans who are all quality options who they could move any of them, and I wouldn't be terribly surprised. And, you know, two years ago, you would have said Collins was their second or third best player. Uh, he had kind of a weird season. I think not a, not as bad as some might have thought, but still not a great season next to Capella. And they have all these interesting changes. So that's a long and winding answer. But I do think that it's trade his own, trade his own tier. And then it's like, I think it's the young guys as far as like the untouchable list and then you get into the veterans as kind of the fillers around them. Yeah. I think the way you put the, that is, is, is very instructive because this off season is going to be um, a, a telling one. We're going to know a lot about what this front office values by how they operate this off season. I think because 
I and tell me if I'm wrong about this, Brad. I feel like the worst thing, maybe not the worst thing, but it would be a mistake, I think, to just completely run it back. Just keep everyone around and 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 you know, see what Quinn can do, whatever, because I think this roster is very flawed. Um, there's a lot of interesting ideas here. And, and if you just told me, like, hey, you have this superstar point guard who is one of the best offensive players in basketball, and then you have three young guys who I who I like with with AJ Griffin, who I loved. I had I had him third last year. I thought he was an absolute steal. Jalen Johnson, who I liked, Onyeko Kongu, who I like. You have those three young guys and Trey Young, I'd be really in on that team's future, but it's not always about the future. This is a team that does want to win now. Trey Young especially wants to win now. So let's talk briefly about trades. I, we don't have to get too into this because I'm sure you you uh, will, will do plenty of trade machining on your pod, which everyone should go listen to. But I do want to know, like, I mean, obviously John Collins is the obvious name, but do you think we're likely to see some some big overhaul here? Or, or do you think it's just going to be Collins? Do you think it's going to be Collins at Bogdan? Do you think the pick might be on the move? Just What's kind of going through your head as you think about trades? It's really complicated because of kind of what you alluded to. Like they, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in your camp, big picture of like, this is a roster that as constructed right now is just not good enough to do what they want it to do. Um, they can be good with this team. They've underachieved. I think it's better than better that they are better with this roster than they've shown. But as far as like, what is your, for me, it's a big picture. It's like, what is your organizational goal? Like, do you want to be a team that's really aiming, aiming for the top? Or do you, are you okay with, you know, 46 wins or something like that? And that's a question only they can answer. And we're getting more, um, more data on it, but this is a first time front office and yeah, they have an experienced coach now, but we'll see. And, you know, we could do a a half hour on this topic and and we won't, but my number one response when people asking what's going to happen this summer is um, I have to know if ownership is willing to green light the tax because they've, they've been unwilling to pay it the last several years. They've not paid it for a long time and it's been justifiable to this point. I think last year they pretty openly avoided the tax in a way that made their team worse by trading Kevin Herter. That was the primary. It wasn't the only, re- only way they did that, but that's that was the reason why they did that trade. They got a first round pick back for them, but it was really a cost cutting measure. And without going all the way into their cap sheet, like the guys they have under contract, they're top 10. They're already into the tax now with 10 guys on their roster. So if they're not willing to pay it, they have to make some active cost-cutting measures in addition to tweaking their roster. And that's hard to do. I mean, you guys know, like it's really hard to get better while getting cheaper. It's not impossible to do, but it's really hard. Like that's not not what you would design, especially because, you know, look, this is a team from the top that until I hear otherwise, Tony Ressler, the owner, they want to win. They're not in a patient mindset. We saw that last summer. They're they're not in a kind of tweak on on margins and maybe take a take, take a take a half step back. They're not really willing to do that. Maybe Snyder will convince them that they kind of have to do that now. That's maybe the power of hiring this guy that you've given some control to and some power to and a lot of money to. Maybe Quick and be like, guys, you know what? We're just not good enough. Let's retool this thing. But short of that, I think that the only thing that I'm confident in to your point earlier is like they're not going to just fully run it back because just running it back with this group and paying the tax to do it doesn't make a lot of sense to me even as someone who I think that teams should be willing to spend more and if you're a fan you shouldn't be rooting for the owner to duck the tax like I just you know it's interesting like there's there's these people that like are like yay tax ducking and like no no like you want you want your team to spend money so uh long story short like I think that I believe that the most logical and the easiest way to change this team without doing a major overhaul, and they still might do a major overhaul, would be to trade either Collins or Capella for different reasons. Now, I've actually been a zealot for that combination. People have kind of, 
and I get why for a long time I've pointed to like offensively, it doesn't really work. And I agree with you. I mean, no one would draw up John Collins and Clint Capella on offense together because John Collins is best as a dive man. And he hasn't been able to do that for two years because Capella is always in the way, but it's actually worked for them. They've actually been good when they play together. It's just that taking the next step, it doesn't really work. Now the Collins thing has been well, has been well tried forever. Like he's been available for a very long time. They should have traded him already. I like John a lot, but they've done him no favors. That's the thing that I think people have kind of lost in this is that, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily his fault that he's been put in this position where he's miscast. Like he's, he's not being used the way that, and they, they admit this too. The Hawks know that they're putting him in a position that's not his best role, but the money is the money. And they, they've paid him on a level where they've hurt his market value by the combination of the contract and the way they've used him. So he'll be available. I, I will guarantee you that, but um, maybe they have to hold their nose and make a, make a kind of a bad trade to trade him if they want to do that. I don't know. We'll see. And then Capella, they love, and I like a lot. He's been a really good anchor for them. But the reality is a Kongwu is entering his fourth season and they basically have two starting centers. If we're being honest, a Kongwu has not been able to chance to, to kind of prove this yet, but I think he's a starting center in the NBA already. And he's 22 years old. So it's not that Capella is bad or anything like that, but the very logical way to kind of keep the train on tracks while maybe cutting some salary and retooling is to say, okay, it's finally time to pick one of the centers, trade Clay for whatever, whatever you can get elsewhere, give the job to, to a Kong Wu. And I've actually argued, and maybe you, maybe you guys agree or disagree with me, but I've actually argued that the best way to rehab John Collins value would be to trade Clint and have that, maybe give that a chance when it's him, what, him and a Kong Wu together, which is kind of overlooked as a pairing, but they kind of fit pretty well together. Actually, Collins is a bigger than average power forward in the modern NBA. Kong was pretty small. Um, they could both play a little bit on, on the perimeter, all that stuff. So what, what I've said beyond just not running it back is that I believe, and I'll be surprised, I won't be shocked, but I'll be surprised if they keep both Collins and Capella. I think that's the easiest way. It's just such a, such a turnkey way to change the roster. And maybe it's both, but I, I what will kind of surprise me is if both of them are retained. And from there, it's all on the margins because like Bogdanovich, they can't trade till September. They extended him. He's not eligible to be traded till September. That's kind of a weird time to trade somebody. So I'm assuming he's going to be on the team. Hunter, same thing, kind of a weird situation. So uh, the easiest way and the way that I would project is a, a trade in the front court, um, either one of the, one of the, one of the starting bigs or maybe both, I, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's a great point. And, and I actually, I do like the idea of Collins and Okongwu as like your duo start next season, because right now, if you're looking to trade Collins, I don't know if you can get anything like his. Yeah. And I'm with you that he is like a fine player. His issue isn't that he's like, oh, he's actually a five offensively is that he would be a five offensively if you're only running pick and roll. And that's what the Hawks do. Like the Hawks are so and that changed a little bit under Snyder. And I think like Snyder could do some really fun stuff with Okungwu. And you can kind of use Collins as like a cutter dunker spot guy with Okungwu having the ball in the high post. Like you could get more versatile with it because Okungwu can dribble. He could pass. He can't really shoot, but like maybe he'll dig a couple every once He's, in a while. He, they're they're trying they're trying to get there with him. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I feel I, like I've heard that since his freshman year of high school at Chino. I, so. I, I, <laughs> I agree, but at a bare minimum, he can do more on the perimeter than Capella, who yes, I like again. Yes. I, I love Capella, but he is a pure uh roller finisher at the rim. Like, and that's the thing with with Collins, like you, you talked about him running pick and roll. With Capella on the court, he has to be either in the action or in the dunker spot. There's nothing else you could do with Capella. That's that's it. And that puts Collins in a position where they've had him be this, this, this floor spacer. And that's, he did it okay two years ago, but that's, that's not his best role. I mean, everybody knows that. And then, and yeah, there's only so, so many teams in the league that have 
the mythical floor spacing center if you compare next to next to Collins. I'm not saying it's easy to do that, but Capella is like arguably the worst case scenario on offense for a player like John Collins. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah, Okongu like is not a spacer in the traditional sense, but like if you're running like DHOs with him with good shooters like Bogdanovich and Trey Young, like that's gravity. He you can't like just sag off him into the paint. And Capella can't even run a DHO because he'll dribble off his foot. Like that's <laughs> that's the extent of, of what you're saying. So I, I think that's a great point. Um let's talk about the pick. Uh and, and we always like to talk about the trades, trade ideas first. Brad, do you think there's any chance this pick is on the move, whether it be the Hawks looking to move up, move down, move out, or do you think they're going to stay pat and, and take a guy at 15? Because last year they took a guy at 16 and it worked out pretty damn well. Yeah, they've been in this mode the last several years where they, they've they've stood pat. But again, that, that was it was different. It was different front different front office, which is I keep I keep repeating that, but it's it's important to note this is a first time group with Landry Fields and Kyle Korver. So we don't really know their tendencies yet at all in the way that I kind of knew what Travis Schleck was going to do a lot of the time, um, at least uh, roughly, and that's not the case anymore. But um, that's been their MO is they, they, they kind of stand pat and just let somebody fall to them. It happened with AJ last year, Jalen Johnson, even as far back as Kevin Herter. And, you know, obviously the Trey Young trade happened, but John Collins year before that, they, they just kind of waited and took their guy at that point. So We'll see if they do that. I honestly believe that they could do anything with this pick, whether it be whether it be package it alongside something else, for a you know maybe it's a fifteen and Capella for something or something like that, or fifteen Collins or something. Um, they could use it to move up if they wanted to. If they fall in love with somebody, maybe they, maybe they attach the Kings pick that they have coming to that pick to maybe go to like eleven or twelve, whatever it's going to be. Trading down would kind of surprise me because they have so many guys under contract, but it wouldn't be the worst idea in my opinion in this draft if, if they have a a tear break right when they're picking trading now is never a terrible idea in my opinion. So I think the spectrum is pretty wide here because of all the security they have with guys under contract. And the fact that in reality, it's not quite as stark as it was two years ago when Nate McMillan was the coach where I was confident that no matter who they drafted, they weren't going to play him. Uh, Jalen Johnson became the recipient of that. And he got basically buried for an entire year because it's just, that was just where they were in their, in their cycle. This year, it's kind of going to be like that again, I think, on some level, but not quite as bad. I think this is a, a more, um, they'd be more willing to embrace that. AJ kind of plays well on the floor last year, which was pretty good. But I think, you know, most likely they just take somebody 15, I think, if I had to if I had to guess. But honestly, they they could package it, they could move up, they could move down, and I wouldn't be terribly surprised. But there is something to be said for the cost control because this is a very expensive roster. So if they have anybody they like at 15, you know, getting getting that guy locked in for four years at a pretty cheap number is probably going to be pretty useful for them. Well, also, you mentioned the DeJounte thing, too. Like, and I think that has yep. to loom large as they look to make a pick like this at 15. Not that you're going to draft a replacement for, like, a starting two at 15 or whatever, but just you mentioned cost control. DeJounte has none, and he's probably not going to be here depending on what type of contract he can get. That's part of why the Spurs traded him. Like, they wanted to not have to deal with that situation. So um, let's talk Let's talk about some exciting picks. Brad, obviously at 15, it's sort of a weird spot in this draft because it feels like, we've talked about this a couple times, like there's a strong top 11, it feels like. And then kind of 12 to, you know, 20-ish feels completely up in the air. So Brad, who's who would be like a couple guys that you would be really, really ecstatic should they be here at 15 for the Hawks to take? So when we were talking about doing this podcast, I was not even going to mention Kaysen Wallace because I thought he was going to be gone. And he he was a guy that I, ha- he's in my top 10 or 11. I don't know if that he, I don't know if he's included in your top 11, but I like him quite a bit, but for whatever reason, the buzz seems to be that he could fall. Like he's working out for the Hawks 
this week as we speak, like, I can't believe he's coming to the Hawks. Honestly, I, I'm shocked by that, that he's even agreeing to do that. Cause you know, that's one of the things about being in the middle of the first round. This is the third year in a row. The Hawks have been in this, basically that's the same, very similar draft slot is like, you have a hard time convincing guys that believe that they should go ahead of you to come to your building. Last year, they drafted AJ Griffin. It was kind of a no brainer pick in my opinion. It sounds like yours as well, but they didn't talk to AJ beforehand. He didn't, he didn't come to Atlanta because why would he, why would he have come to Atlanta? He didn't want to come to Atlanta for, for the, for the 16th pick. So Kaysen Wallace is my best case scenario for the Hawks, given that I think he actually reasonably could fall. And again, you can't bank on this happening, but there is an argument to be made that I think that I look back in this three or four years in a row. Now there's been somebody that has, I, I would describe as fallen, not like incredibly far, but has fallen far enough where I'm surprised that has gotten to the middle of the first round. Maybe it's Kaysen Wallace. So he's, he'd be for me, the, the highest rated guy on my board that I think is reasonable at 15 is Kaysen Wallace. Um, if you want to cross him off, we can go deeper because I think he should be gone again. I think he should be gone, but AJ Griffin should be gone. should have been gone too. And so, and for something with Jalen Johnson. So maybe they can just like have this voodoo magic and have their guy follow them for the first straight year. Um, but if not, uh, I have more, I have more names, but is that, does that strike you as crazy? No, I don't know. That, I, I think you brought up that there's been, I mean, a solid like faller every year for the past couple of years. I mean, and generally the Hawks seem to take that guy for, for whatever reason, even like Cam yeah. Reddish, you could argue was maybe a faller to 10, depending on how you view that. But specifically Jalen Johnson, you, you think even Sharif Cooper, Adrian Griffin Jr. Like they tend to take that yep. guy. I have Wallace at four on my board. Like, I think that would be a, a, an absurd fall. And, and I think it would Agreed. be a great pick. Um, I mean, we talk about, oh, it's hard to draft a starting shooting guard. Well, I mean, if Kassan Wallace is there at 15, maybe it's not so hard. Um, you talk about, like, the perfect guy to put next to Trey defensively. I, I think he is, like, what a lot, what maybe the Hawks front office hoped DeJounte Murray could be defensively, where Murray's a good defender, but he's not, like, like, the type of guy who can change your whole defense. Wallace is closer to that with his off-ball defense and his um, just like really insane aggressiveness on that end. But Brad, if there are a couple other names you want to throw out, I, yeah. I'd, I'd be excited to hear who you got. Yeah, so this is, uh, I'm almost obligated to throw this name out there because it'd be, it'd be very Hawks and that's Derek Whitehead. Um, if they Because they have this brain of just taking the the Duke guy that falls to them. Uh, you just mentioned all the guys that they've done this with. Derek Whitehead would be another name. Obviously, the medical was the question there. I don't know what it looks like. I haven't heard. He, of course, he had two, he had, uh, two surgeries and like he'd have to be. But AJ was a medical question as well. Not a, not quite as like recently as Derek White, who just had a, who just had a procedure. But Griffin's perhaps biggest knock was the injuries, and they were they were comfortable with that. So that's a name to keep an eye on. Um, if if not for just for the, for the memes, it would be very funny to me. Even though it, it also would be an appropriate pick, I have him in that range. But it would be just like hilarious to have them go three straight one and done Duke guys, and that's not even factoring uh, factoring in Cam from a few years ago. Um, after that, like. It gets more open. So I'm not doing this on purpose because he's a Duke guy. If they were to move on from Clint Capella and they knew they were going to do that, maybe Derek Lively becomes interesting there. I don't think he's going to get there. But again, he's not, he's kind of like Wallace. We're like, I think he might get there. That could be a best player available kind of pick in the way they did with the Congo a few years ago where they didn't like have a need. They just thought he was the best player and they took him. Um, and then it's like, okay, who do you prefer from the Kobe Bufkin, Keontae George, Nick Smith Jr. group? I don't know. One of those guys, perhaps. Like, I kind of lean to Bufkin, and maybe that's my Michigan stuff showing. I don't know. But um, I like all of those guys to varying degrees. I'm actually a sucker for Chris Murray because I love boring prospects. That would be the most boring prospect pick in, in the world. But and, and honestly, would kind of not be very hawksy for the recent time. But again, this is a new front office. 
I don't know what they kind of value yet. So um, I have even, I mean, there's honestly what you said earlier about there being kind of this tier from like 12 to 22. I've been joking on my podcast about this, but like my list at 15 is like 17 guys long because it, it, number one, it depends on who falls. Cause again, there's probably going to be somebody that falls, but it's really for me, I have my preferences, but it's super eye of the beholder in this range. And it makes life fun, but also kind of hard on me. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. Who, number one, number one question I'm getting right now is like, all right, besides Jalen Brown, uh, throw him to the side. The other questions that I'm getting are like, who are the Hawks going to take 15? And I'm like, you got to tell me who's available. Is that, that's the problem with 15 is that you have to cast such a wide net. I think I just named five, six, seven guys. And I didn't, I didn't even get to Bilal or Jet Howard or Jordan Hawkins. And like, there's all kinds of names and they're all in this range. They're all very reasonable in this range. And it's like, what are you actually looking for? And this Hawks team, while they have a lot of guys, they don't have a glaring need, number one, which is a good thing, but it also makes your draft prep interesting. Cause like they could kind of do anything. I mean, I think Nick Smith Jr. is like the worst fit of that group because of what the Hawks actually have. But there's no like, the only thing the Hawks couldn't take is a small shoot first point guard. And those guys are on the, on the board here. So like every other position, unless they're going to keep both Capella and Okongwu, they could pick any position, any archetype. And yeah, you have to consider fit around Trey, but everything else is kind of like, you know, take your best player available. And I don't know who that is for them. So something I'm trying to balance here, and, and Brad, you would obviously be be better at this because you watched every Hawks game, basically. But, like, theoretical fit with what, like, the tra- the traditional Trey Young offense is yeah. versus theoretical fit with how I know Quinn Snyder likes to run his <laughs> offense. Because, yeah. you know, when you're talking about building around, like, a heliocentric pick-and-roll scheme, you basically just want catch-and-shoot guys who can defend because you know they're going to be limited. Other That's... That's why the Kevin Herter stuff never really clicked in in Atlanta is because Kevin Herter is not like just a spot up shooter. He's someone who likes to get it off the move. Like we really saw that this year with with Sacramento. It really clicked for him is playing with a DHO guy like Sabonis and and kind of working into the mid range a bit more. And now like Herter obviously had moments as like that secondary shot creator for the Hawks, but it was never fully there because. Trey Young wanted to have a, you know, 45% total usage and just run a ton of pick and roll. And so that makes certain guys, like, like Jordan Hawkins is not a fit I would like here because I, I, uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming that we're playing traditional Trey Young style, because he's like a movement shooter, not like a spot up three and D shooter. And I think that distinction is important. Um, but there is one other guy I'm going to throw out here who I, who I think would be fascinating, especially if we're leaning more into the, the the Quinn Snyder thinks that's Brandon Podjewski. Um, I think his rise has been legit. I think he's someone who is a good catch and shoot shooter, but can really kind of be a secondary creator in a lot of ways. Great pull up shooter. I think he shot forty five percent on pull up threes this year on a super high volume. Really impressive in that realm. Uh, and and just someone who I think could have a lot of upside long term. Stone, we've kind of compiled a pretty gigantic list here. Are there any <laughs> names that stand out to you as, you know, like worthy of, of further scrutiny, whether that they be good fits or bad fits? Yeah, I mean, you, you got into it there. I, I, there's this group of guys that I have described as like very appropriate picks in the middle of the first round that I would not like for the Hawks very much and at this range. And one of them, um, um, like I mentioned before, is Nick Smith. Like, I, I think... Nick Smith's a very talented player. I don't think he makes sense with what the Hawks need. Um, uh, I think Jordan uh, Jordan Hawk is another example of that, where like, you know, 
it wouldn't be the worst pick in the world. I just would not go with Jordan Hawkins for the reasons you laid out. Even even somebody like Bryce Sensible, like a top 20 guy for a lot of people. He's really just, I mean, I don't think he fits particularly well. With, I mean, maybe you disagree, but I don't think he fits with what. And honestly, here's the thing. The looming beyond everything else is that the Hawks have to get better defensively. And you can't rely on this pick to change their defensive culture. I would never say that. Maybe maybe Casey Wallace can. But uh, the, I think you have to be pretty, doesn't mean you have to cross guys off. But I think you have to consider your defensive future when you're building around Trey Young. And it does help that you have some other pieces, but like they were, they were downright awful at times this, this last season defensively. And a lot of their supporting pieces, whether it be Sadiq Bay or Bogdan McDonavich, or even honestly, DeJounte was pretty bad this year defensively. A lot of, a lot of the season, like they, they can't afford defensive zeros and not that any of these guys are like necessarily have to be that, but like, here's an example, Jet Howard guy. I've watched a ton of, I've watched a ton of, I like Jet's offensive fit actually in Atlanta as a, player who can do a little bit more than just a spot-up shooter, but can spot-up shoot. I think he'll be better in a smaller role in the NBA. His defensive film was terrible in college. And it's like, can they, can they, maybe they, if they just love him, they'll just take him anyway. But I think for me, like, especially smaller guards, which is why I keep saying Nick Smith's name. It's not about Nick Smith, but uh, you know, a, a shoot first guard with defensive and athleticism questions is like kind of not what they need. Um, I don't know. I mean, you guys, is anybody jump off to you for, for the Hawks? I mean, you, uh, you're watching these guys as well as I am. And I know I've named a lot, of, a lot of guys. There's no like full on cross offs, but there's nobody that I absolutely am in love with either, unless someone falls to them that I'm not seeing. I uh, I actually quite like live. I'm not even the biggest lively guy, but I I do like lively a lot here. Me too. Um, I think a Congo is definitely like the center I'd prioritize for them, and I think that you would have some pretty big spacing issues with him and lively playing together but if you're to move on from capella i don't really mind it i don't love the process of necessarily drafting to fill a need of backup center at 15 i agree, I agree with that I, w- I would never do that just uh if that's if that's the thought process that, that's a terrible thought process you're only, you're only yeah. doing that if you, if you think he's the best player you take him yeah but i agree yeah, I, I I think he makes sense with the with the Hawks specifically. I just I'm not sure that he's like my my pick, my my best pick. Um, I do really like uh Kassan here. I don't know the likelihood. Um, but you know, like you're saying, every every year somebody falls. Um, I would love if they traded up to go for Anthony Black. I think that would be really really good. Um, don't know the likelihood of that either. But in terms of staying at 15. Um, I'm not a huge Keontae George fan here. Um, I don't think that he makes a ton of, there's a lot of overlap to me with DeJounte in terms of like some of role, not necessarily play style or anything, but, but in terms of role that they would probably have with the Hawks. Um, and I think he overlaps for minutes with, with AJ Griffin. I think AJ Griffin probably just fits better with that roster. So I don't really love taking him here. Um, I really do like Whitehead here. I think Whitehead would be awesome, not just because he's an injured Duke guy like last year, but I think um, having multiple shooters on the wing um, that I project Whitehead to be a better defender probably than a lot of people. Um, not necessarily good, but I think just good enough to be you know serviceable on that end. And I think having like two absolute snipers with him and AJ Griffin moving forward on your team would be really, really good. So I, I those are some of the picks I really like, but um, 
yeah, a couple guys I'm, I'm not huge on in this range either. Brett, I have a couple ideas that I want to put by you, probably for good and for ill. So the first one, I'll, I'll start with the bad. I think this could be the Bobby Clintman promise spot. Um, Clintman has been promised somewhere, and it's somewhere in the first round. I like to joke with Coop, our, our other podcast co-host who's not here right now, uh, who's a Rockets fan, that it's the Rockets at 20. But I absolutely think it could be uh, the Hawks. I don't know exactly. Uh, you know, it's like you mentioned, this this front office is brand new. But I could see them being like, hey, if we are going to play like this heliocentric style, he's someone who can probably hit open threes and is a weird movement skills guy at 6'10". And we'll bet on that. Maybe that's a guy we can play next to John Collins if we want to play John Collins at the five or we can play next to Capella or Okongwu, whoever. So I think there's that. I also think in that same mold of if you did really want to try and make, you know, Okongwu or not like Okongwu, maximize him, make John Collins work, make uh, Capella work. And you wanted that mythical stretch four or five-ish or at the very least stretch rim protector. Is there a taylor Hendricks trade-up that could make some sense it's hard to say like like in specifics but i do think that you know you could package 15 and and one of those two bigs and maybe get up to you know washington at eight or um um you know uh there's a couple other teams kind of in that in that top 14-ish range who i could see who i could see maybe making a move I, brad either of those possibilities excite or scare you or, or kind of is there any other thoughts you have on this 15th pick in general before you move on yeah i mean the clinton promise thing would be terrifying just because like that, that's just such bad process even if you like even if you like him a lot like you don't process 15th the 15th pick to a guy who might not go in the first round otherwise like that's just it's just not that's just a terrible process now you guys are probably too young to remember this uh the hawks pretty famously promised Sheldon Williams in 2005 at number five overall. And he probably wouldn't have gone in the top. It probably wouldn't have gone in the lottery to anybody else. So uh different front office, obviously, but I, I, the shiver down my spine uh, for an over-aggressive promise is uh, that's, there's some PTSD there, but um, so that's, that's not my favorite idea. You know, Hendricks is, I mean, I think Hendricks, Anthony Black and Casey Wallace are like my trade up guys that they were going to do it. So I'm that's, that makes sense to me. I don't love trading up in this class unless you get a really good value on doing it um just because like you know trading up for non premium premium picks i don't usually like the process of that but if they're in love with somebody again this is a front office that may be more willing to do that than i would be and i think if it's one of those three guys i will at least understand it because i have them a full tier above where they probably will be at 15 overall so as long as you're crossing a tier break it makes some sense to me and hendrix could check a lot of boxes i think anthony black is maybe my favorite player in the whole range. Just that I, I, I'm more convinced that he's going to be gone than I am with Casey Wallace, which is why I led, I led with Wallace, just because of where the intel is right now. It seems like Black's definitely going to go in the top eight or ten, whereas Wallace could fall. But yeah, those are the three that I really like as far you know, beyond the the top 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 tiers um, that could actually be reasonable trade up options. And yeah, I mean maybe they go off the board. I I would not be shocked by anything from this front office right now because we just don't have the record of that I can, that I can go on to be confident. And I'm sure I'm driving my listeners and readers mad with that statement because they want me to know what's going to happen. But I, I have to admit, and it's something I pride myself on is to knowing what I don't know. And because they, this, this group's never made a pick. Landry Fields had one, had one deadline where he was, he was in charge in February at the deadline and they made some moves and and generally speaking, they were pretty good moves, but the draft is a whole different animal. And this is a group that has no experience. So it's a shrug until I have Intel. Uh, but yeah, I think that again, my list is long for a reason. 
they'd have a hard time making me like really perplexed. I think Bobby Clinton would actually be on, on the on the on the perplexed side. But if they just pick any one that I have on my board from about 10 to 25, I will at least kind of understand it if that makes sense. I, I think that's I think that's perfectly reasonable. And I, I'm about the same way, like as I look through my board, it's like, you know, I have some guys like maybe in like the the later first part where I'd be like, ah, oh, like that's probably a reach. But I mean I yeah. like them. So it's like, you know, but yeah, like as you look through, I mean, even Balakul Bali could absolutely fit here. Is he a project? Yes, but um, you know, he is a cost control de- defensive guy who's proven he can help a, a you know professional team at times. So um I I I I'd be hard pressed to be like shocked by anything. Let's move on to this pick 46. Uh maybe this is like 46 is always in like the last remnants of where is the draft real and where does it start to get fake? Um and sometimes it happens early. I mean, like I think like a Yusuf Sanon was like the 39th pick. So like every once in a while a team will jump the shark a little early, but 45 is generally where the cutoff is considered. But there might be some guys they like at 46. They could absolutely draft someone who um, they value, whether it be with a two-way or even with a real contract. I mean, obviously, uh, they drafted Shreve Cooper a couple years ago. Last year, they drafted Terry Smartin at 54, I want to say. It was something like that. Um, so, like, the, they'll make second-round picks and at least give them two-ways. They're not – they don't seem like – and this was obviously a different front office, but they're they're not pulling the nets and drafting guys and then just not even giving them – uh, anything like there's no Marcus Zagorowski histories on this team. So Brad, is there anyone at 46 or, I mean, you can even point to like undrafted, obviously there's an extra two way now. Are there any guys sort of in like this back end of the draft you think are really under the radar who you'd be interested in the Hawks going after? Yeah. I mean, this is a group that's they've sold some picks, which I absolutely hate and have railed against that. That's something you just doesn't make any sense to do in the modern game, in my opinion, but um, it is what it is. But yeah, they last year and honestly with their tax concerns, that was, uh, this is not a, a, a snipe at Tyrese Martin, but the reason why he was signed to a full contract was because he was so cheap and they were trying to avoid the tax. He would have been on a two-way for most teams, which is fine. I mean, that's what you're looking for in this range. Ironically, they got this pick from New Orleans basically on the last day of the season. Uh, it was a top 45 protected pick and they got the 46th pick, which is the best case scenario. So congratulations to them on uh, stealing that pick from New Orleans. But yeah, I think this could be obviously an even wider range. And if, because of how, how, cheap they kind of need to go and how how much they need to watch their costs i think that they need to try to get somebody here that they can use maybe not as you're not trying mean, there's kind of i don't know how you guys feel about this there's kind of two different schools of thought in second round picks it's like you're either aiming for a guy who has real upside three years from now or you're trying to aim for someone that can maybe help you like right now and may not be good but like won't kill you you know what i mean like can be on a two-way and kind of just you know function if you have to have that function and they're different kind of players that you can aim for there but uh, I said this many many times, and I think people hate it. But the Hawks have not actually hit on a second round pick in more than a decade. Their last second round pick that actually did anything in the NBA was Mike Muscala. So you can think about how how long ago that might have been. Uh, they have not been good in the second round. They, that, they've had, and obviously T- Tyrese Martin TBD, but the Shreve Cooper thing uh, did not go well for Atlanta when it happened. So um, we'll see. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of in this scenario now where a lot of the guys that I liked seem to be, maybe they'll be gone by the time they get to the Hawks. And it's kind of, I'm, I'm changing my thought process. Like I had Jordan Walsh circled for like weeks and weeks. And now he's might just be gone by the time he gets to 46. Um, That's a guy that could be really intriguing for the Hawks, you know, defense and maybe they can teach him how to shoot. Um, I like Seth Lundy from Penn state in this range. He's always a guy that I've kind of valued as a pretty interesting bet in the NBA 
Uh, Julian Strother as just a bomber shooter around Trey Young would make some sense to me potentially. That's just there's just some names. Obviously, somebody might fall. Um, I man, it's weird. I've always loved Ben Shepard, and he's like maybe he's gonna go in the first round now. And I'm like, okay, uh, sign me up for Ben Shepard. But I guess he's gonna be long gone. So um, I'm in this weird range now where where I have a bunch of guys that I like, but um, Kobe Brown maybe from Missouri as an interesting two-way bet um i like jordan miller who actually visited the hawks uh, for a workout in the last couple of days um not a, not a super high upside guy but i, I know uh, my pal mark schindler has always loved jordan miller and he got me watching jordan miller and i like jordan miller too so that's that's a name that i think will probably be there honestly he's usually at least on the mainstream boards that i've seen like in the 50s or 60s so maybe he's going to be in that range it could be a guy that circle but obviously we're all just shooting darts at 46 overall and i agree with you 100 percent. this could be a stash it could be a sell it could be a trade down like it was last year with tyree smart and who knows yeah it's i mean it's really hard to, to nail down names i'd be remiss to not mention we recently recorded a podcast talking about like big shooters and uh another penn state guy andrew funk was someone who when I was watching him, I'm like, his jumper reminds me of someone, and I couldn't put it together, but I'm like, I, I loved Andrew Funk. I loved watching Andrew Funk, and it was purely because I love the aesthetics of his jumper. And then it hit me that his jumper looks exactly like Kyle Corver's. Like, you mm. could put them, like, one-to-one, and they look – it's, like, the same mechanics. Um, where, like, it's not super traditional, but it's super quick, and it's, like, out in front of their face. And and so, like, I, you know, Kyle Corver drafting Andrew Funk I think would be really fun. Uh, I feel like his range is not anywhere this high, but again, like UDFA or, you know, if you wanted to stash him, do the Justinian Jess up, uh, however you want to, <laughs> however you want to look at that. Um, I'd also point to this being like an interesting Jalen Slauson landing spot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I just think that he's, he's a, uh, you mentioned like bets to potentially fill minutes early. Jalen Slauson could fill that potentially. I, I like that idea. Um, and then the last guy all name is Muhammad Gay. Uh, just because I think that he's um, it, at least a different look for them, give them a, a, a like, and I think he would be a potentially solid backup for Okongwu the way Okongwu plays. Um, you know, maybe as like a guy who can also hit some outside shots and and has some skill as a passer. Uh, defensively, is a bit of a mess, but is at least super athletic. Um, Stone, are there any guys stand out to you that you would like as you know back in this back end range? Um. Mike Miles is interesting as just like a backup point guard bet, uh, someone I would consider here. Um, maybe he pans out, maybe he doesn't. It's the 46th pick, and I think that taking a chance on someone like that is is worth it because you can fill a substantial role, uh, an important role too. Um, the other guy, Demoy Hodge, Covey Brown's teammate, uh, I like here as someone that could fill minutes early on. Uh, I think he could just be a bomber from three and, and provide some level of defense with his quick hands. Um, the final guy out there in here, I haven't really mentioned him on a pod. I'm not sure I'd take him at 46. Um, maybe more as like an undrafted guy because I don't expect him to get drafted. It would be uh Leon Ayers out of Bowling Green or Leon Ayers the third to be specific. Um, I think he uh is a really really tough finisher, someone that can with the playmaking and passing that the Hawks have with their guards, I think could work well as a cutter um to exploit that finishing a bit better um so someone i I probably wouldn't take at 46 just because i don't expect him to be a drafted guy but i think as an undrafted free agent would would definitely uh garner some interest for me i'm blanking on whether or not there's any like uh atlanta area guys in this range because obviously i think that at least somewhat played into the sharif cooper pick was that he was an atlanta area guy i I, I think actually i think the sharif it didn't work but i I love the 
the bet to just take him like he fell too far he's from here um the theory of like he can just be like the worst version of Trey Young and run the same stuff um you can kind of debate on that theory in general but if you want to have your backup do the same thing your starter does it, it, could, it kind of made some sense it obviously didn't work uh the only guy that I know of that's like he's probably below this range too that has Atlanta ties is Adam Flagler who is from he's from uh the suburban Atlanta actually I will disclose my, my brother coached him in high school so I know him very well oh, okay um, but he's a uh, you know he's pr- probably going to be a UDFA but might, he might go in the fifties something like that he's probably in that range. I um, could see but, him going at forty six honestly. Yeah, like, on, like, me, me too. Like be, that'd be reasonable. I mean, it's again, it's, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have him that high. But like, yeah, I'm looking right now just to see where he like he's in the fifties and sixties on some boards. Like it's it's that kind of range. And uh, yeah, I think that's I'm looking. At, I don't see any. Other that's the only guys. guy who stands out to me. I usually try and keep some like ties on that stuff in my head, but like I. I can't think of any um, really off the top of my head. Um, even Mocan yeah. guys, I can't really think of. But and also, yeah. by the way, Mike, Mike, Mike Miles uh, visited the other day, so that I just want to always throw that out there since uh, Stone brought it up. He, he visited the Hawks and did a workout, so just throwing that on there. I, I think I like taking a like taking a backup point guard bet actually here would make some sense because this team has just still like struggled so hard to figure that out. Like, like, and backup point guard has become sneakily one of the like most dreary positions in the nba like there is a real dearth of guards who can actually like handle the ball and make plays for others because i think this three and d guard became so in vogue that at certain points we've left the you know run a pick and roll and just make solid decisions guards behind um so anyways story for another day brad before we before we end this we like to to ask our guests kind of to think big picture and 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 discuss a worst and best case scenario for an off season for their team. So let's start with the worst. Let's get the bad out of the way and wind it on a good note. What's the worst case scenario for the Hawks this off season? Ooh, um, hmm. this could be viewed in so many, so many different ways. I think I'll, I'll put, I'm, I'm not a fan anymore. I, I try to cover the team differently, but uh, if I was a Hawks fan, my worst case scenario would be the Hawks uh, kind of nakedly, cutting salary to get under the luxury tax and not making their team better um, and very openly doing that. And also not really um, deciding on a plan, if that makes sense, like kind of running it back, but the cheaper, probably worse version. And they might still win more games because they have more talent than they had last, more talent than they showed last year. But like, I would like to see them do something that makes, makes it clear what they actually want to do long-term versus just like holding steady and just, cost cutting and running it back so i think running it back is the worst case scenario especially especially if it is uh compounded with um sneaking out of the tax again because that that means they're worse on paper Does that makes sense yeah do you have a worst case 15th pick uh is it mean to say bobby clinton because that, that that i didn't even think about that being a possibility but now that's that that's not, that's not, it's not <laughs> hopefully it's not i did hopefully i didn't like freak uh, you out but also if it happens you can you can know that i was here first so let's... yeah i mean uh if you don't want to use him um because i was not even gonna he was not gonna be on my radar i think i don't know i think my least favorite fit of the guys i have in my top 20 is either bryce sensible or nick smith so one of those two guys yeah, I, I think I think that's absolutely fair. Let's end it on a positive note. We always like to be, you know, somewhat optimistic on the end of the. I know you're not really a fan, but lots of times we have fans on to talk that's about okay. their team. And I, and I used to be a fan, so yeah, I understand. It's, it's what so, it is. so <laughs> if you could, if you could put on your rose colored glasses a little bit, what's the best case scenario for this team this offseason? Um, I, I again, it's kind of the inverse of the worst case. I think 
if it was me and maybe I'm not the normal and I probably was not when I was a fan, I was not a normal fan probably either, but I would like to see them not necessarily do a full overhaul, but like, how about we just decide on a, on a pathway that's not um, just this group run back in a different form. So, you know, whether that doesn't mean they have to trade everybody, but um, what is the archetype of, of the franchise they want moving forward is what I would like to see them do, which probably means, you know, and I'm not saying they should do this, but I wouldn't be opposed to a, a larger overhaul, meaning like maybe they consider trading DeJounte Murray. I'm not arguing that they have to do that, but like, I, I think that's kind of a sunk cost fallacy to be like, we, we can't trade him now. We already trade all this stuff. If he doesn't fit what, what Quinn wants, if he's not what they want, consider moving him. Consider moving everyone that's not basically Trey or AJ Griffin or Jalen Johnson or a Kongwu. Those, those four guys I would be married to and everybody else. And even then, those four guys, if, if it's some crazy offer, you could trade anyone not na- anyone not nailed down. So I would be thinking more outside the box. And that, that's, that's, that's probably a terrible answer. But uh, I think that doing something different and not just to do, not, not just to do something different, but to actually showcase what you want, which basically means making, you know, building your roster in a way that is molded to what you, what your new organizational ethos is and not what worked for three months, two years ago when they made the conference finals, like not be married to that group. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And I say this as one of the biggest Jonte Murray guys out there because I'm a Pacific Northwest Seattle guy. Um, that trade never made any sense to me. I thought the Spurs got everything they wanted and, and, uh, the Hawks kind of, it felt like a desperation trade, honestly. It it, Um, it was, and honestly, it was, I'm not sure they they, they would admit that, but I didn't absolutely hate it, but I certainly was on the lower side and got some heat for that locally, as you might imagine, because you're trading for an all-star guard. Why would you possibly not love this trade? And it's well, cause they, cause what you said, they, they kind of traded everything that, that San Antonio asked for for two years of control on this guy who, yeah, I, I think that Trey and DeJounte can work. I'm not, I'm not saying they have to trade DeJounte. I just think that it's not a situation where he's off limits. I, I would be looking to see like, look, do we, let's be honest with ourselves. Do we see this pairing leading us to legitimate title contention? And if the answer is no, that means you should, you should be considering, you should be at least considering uh, your options because I don't think it's a great fit. It's not a terrible one, but um, especially if you can't resign him or maybe you don't want to. Like, let's just say this, and we're off the rails, but if you don't want to give him the max next year, you got to consider trading him because he's going to want the max to stay. So, and you're not in a position where like, all due respect to the Hawks, they're probably going to win the title this next coming season, barring some big, barring some giant overhaul transaction. So if that's your window and you don't want to pay him the max in a year, like you've got to look at your options. And that's just one avenue, but you know, Collins, same thing. Hunter's the same thing. Capella's the same thing. Like they need to be, and hope, and that's maybe the good side of having a new head coach and having a new a new brain trust is that maybe they're looking at things more freshly and they're not married to this group. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. Would your best case scenario for a draft pick be Kassan Wallace? Yeah, I think uh, the only other guy that I would put on that level would be Anthony Black. So if one of them inexplicably fell, I think Wallace, again, is more likely to fall than Black is. So I'll, I will say Wallace within reason, but I think um, one of those two would be the, the best case scenario. And if, if, that, if that's not allowed... Um, I don't know. It's allowed. It's allowed. Yeah, You're okay, good. Good. Yeah. Jason Wallace. That's uh, no. I I mean I I would say it's not, but at the same time, the Hawks also got Adrian Griffin Jr., who I thought there was there's no way in hell this guy was. Gonna I be I team, totally so. agree, and I, I've been seeing. I, I think it was Jonathan Washman who's this good job. Bleacher Report, like he he mocked Jason Wallace to the Hawks the other day, and like it's if, if you're being mocked at a major outlet from a from, from a credible from a credible person, it's at least possible. Sign me yep. up. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> 
Brad, we cannot thank you enough for coming on two years in a row now. Uh, you're you're an absolute trooper. Again, you're one of my favorite podcast guys to listen to. I love your writing. I've I'm I have never been to Atlanta. I'm not a Hawks fan, and I've listened to Locked On <laughs> Hawks for uh, upwards of three years. I think now. I think I started wow. in 2020. So um, yeah, I'm a I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And and when we got to on last year, I was like different brad Rowan. there's no way this brad Rowan's coming on our pod so again we cannot thank you enough let the people know where they can find <laughs> all your great stuff and and again it'll all be plugged down below as well i appreciate all the uh very kind words that are uh not earned by me but i do thank you for listening to um but yeah you can find me uh a lot of different places but for hawk stuff locked on hawks is the best place i have a patreon too that has some hawk stuff on it um patreon.com slash bt rolling but lots of hawks podcast is the number one place there and then for the other nba stuff that i do it is mostly at diamond up rocks alongside robbie callan and jackson frank and mark schindler and others we do some fun stuff over there um sports line is other stuff that i do uh on cbs fantasy gambling stuff and then baseball i will just leave that to everybody else so yes lots of hawks podcast at bt roll on twitter too yeah no absolutely he's uh he's the best again click all his links down below really do like recommend uh locked on podcast locked on hawks podcast he does some draft stuff again i mentioned his uh, matt mitchell love getting me involved (laughs) and and uh i i i can't recommend that podcast enough um for stone outport underscore court i'm at bryce hendrick 14 give us like or you'll be all that fun stuff check out the website this has been the upside swings of be a draft podcast we hope we are ceiling thank you We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.